0: Today on Adventures in Faith with Jerry Savelle.
1: Don't give up just because you've never experienced this level. Don't give up just because you've never even thought about experiencing this level. Make up your mind that you're going for everything God says is yours. What I want to talk about by the direction of the Holy Spirit, and this is what he said to me flying up here today, he said, I want you to talk to them tonight about becoming maximum results minded, maximum results minded. Say that with me, maximum results minded. Now, let's look at Proverbs chapter 29 and a very familiar verse, verse 18 where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, I want to I take the time to give you several definitions. I, I love studying um, not only the Bible, but I love studying my 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary While I'm studying the word, because it not only gives definitions, it gives scripture references right along with it. And uh, I, I don't like assuming that I know what something means. I like going to this dictionary to make sure that I know what it means. And so I want to give you a definition for the word perish. Notice it says, without or where there is no vision, the people perish. One of the meanings of the word perish means to wither away or to waste away or to come to nothing. Another meaning is the loss of well being, to experience ruin. Now, notice if we incorporate all those definitions into this verse, listen to how it sounds. Where there is no vision, there is ruin, there's loss of well being. Uh, people wither away, they waste away, and they come to nothing. Now, I don't want that to be the story of my life. Right. Anybody agree? I, I remember uh, years ago, I was privileged to go to uh, New Orleans, to the, to the uh, uh, dome there, uh, to watch a professional fight, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberta Durant. And I had I had seats right behind Muhammad Ali, uh, a, a man that I had mentored, who had been a professional boxer, and he was our uh, Olympic hopeful during the Jimmy Carter administration. But if you remember, Jimmy Carter boycotted the Olympics, so he didn't get to go. So he turned pro, and after only about eight professional fights, he fought for a championship in the bantamweight championship and won the championship. But then he decided to go up to the next weight class and he fought a guy from Texas that, uh, you know, you wouldn't think maybe five or six, eight pounds would make a big difference, but it did. And he almost died in the ring. so he's in the hospital for, for quite some time. And after he recovered, he had to retire from boxing, but he went to work for Bob Arum, the boxing promoter. And so since I had mentored him, I went to training camp with him And mentored him Uh, when he was in training. I was teaching him the Word of God. And uh, so, because of that, after he went to work for Bob Aaron, he would call me and say, uh, I've got ringside seats for this big championship bout coming up, and I'd like to bless you with some. Would you like to have them? I said, Is the Pope Catholic? Yes, I'll be there. (laughs) And most of the time, he'd wind up, I'd be wind up uh, sitting right behind. Muhammad Ali. And uh, so this is the rematch of Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberta Duran. And if any of you know anything about boxing, I know most of you could care less, but it's my sermon. I like it. Okay. And uh, so, anyway, it's the, it's the famous, now famous, No Moss fight where Roberta Duran quit and said, No Moss, no more. I will not fight this clown anymore. And and, uh, he quit. And it was unheard of. I mean, I've I've, I've been involved in boxing all of my life. My dad boxed in World War II in the Navy. I boxed in college. I've been around boxing all my life. And uh, I'd never seen a professional quit before until that fight. And the greatest fights that night were in the audience. (laughs) There was a lot of money being bet that night. I mean, in fact, there was tons of money being exchanged. I went in and sat down, and and you know, right two seats right behind Muhammad Ali, and the guy on my right, and the guy on my left, they were betting on who would win, and the one on my right asked the guy on my left, "Who are you rooting for?" He said, uh, "Sugar Ray Leonard," and he said, "Who are you betting on?" He said, "Roberta Duran," and they said to each other. Uh, well, how confident are you that your guy will win? And both of them said, very confident. They said, well, put your money where your mouth is. And they said, well, what do you want to bet? The guys, one guy said, $5,000. Guy said, you're not very confident, are you? I'll bet you 10000 Sugar Ray Leonard wins. He said, all right, 10000 Now I'm sitting in the middle of this conversation and then they asked, who are you? I said, Jerry Saville, what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher. What are you doing here? I said, I'm a preacher that loves boxing. And this is, this is pre preacher scandal days, okay? It's, it's back when you could trust preachers with money, okay? And so they said, well, let's let the preacher hold the money. So $10,000 went in this pocket, and $10,000 went in this pocket. And they always show. Ali on the camera when he's in the audience, they pan the camera. And now the camera is showing $10,000 going in my pocket and $10,000 going in this pocket. In fact, Ray McCauley in South Africa, I told him I'd be at the fight and they were going to show it live at 3 o'clock in the morning in Joburg. And I said, Ray, look for me. I'll be sitting right behind Muhammad Ali. And so Ray's watching, and when the camera came on Ali, I leaned around him and said, hi, and the guys are putting that money in my pocket, and Ray stands up, and he had a bunch of guys in his home watching the fight, and he said, there's Jerry, there's Jerry, and they said, what's that money going into his pocket now? <laughs> But I wasn't betting. I just want to make it clear. I wasn't betting. I'm just holding the money. Okay. Well, when Roberta Duran quit, the place went crazy. I mean, the policemen are coming through there with billy clubs and beating people. And, and I'm telling you, fights broke out like crazy in the Superdome, and it got dangerous. So I got up and I moved right up next to the ring apron, and I'm watching all this. And of course, uh, I gave the guys their money back before I went up to the ring apron. I said, "You own your own, guys," and I, I stood there watching all this. And then I looked, and I'm standing next to Howard Cosell. I thought, "This is the worst place in the building to be. Everybody hates <laughs> Cosell, you know." I moved away from him, you know, (laughs) but my point is this, Sugar Ray Leonard frustrated Roberta Duran that night. The first fight they did in Canada, he tried to be macho with Duran, you know, blow for blow and Duran won the first fight. This time Sugar Ray fought his fight and he he frustrated Duran and Duran quit. Now, Roberta Duran will go down in history, already has as one of the greatest lightweight champions ever in the history of boxing, but he quit that night. And from that moment, that is all people remember about him. No mas, no mas. Now, later he went on to go up in other weight classes and win other championships in higher weights. But when you hear the name Roberta Duran, People don't talk about all the fights that he won, all the knockouts that he had, all the additional championships he won after the NOMAS fight. All they remember is NOMAS. Now my point in bringing that up is this. Don't let that be your legacy. That you could have had God's maximum and you didn't go for it. I want when I get to heaven, It could very possibly be a warehouse that is full of everything God planned for you and I to have while we were in the earth. I don't want God opening the door and saying, Jerry, this is what you could have had while you were in the earth and it'd be full of things. I want God to open that door and say, well, my Jerry, you received everything we had planned for you. You experienced the maximum. Anybody else want to have that testimony? Amen. I'd like to have that testimony. Amen. So don't give up just because you've never experienced this level. Don't give up just because you've never even thought about experiencing this level. Make up your mind that you're going for everything God says is yours. That's not selfishness. Like I heard Jesse say one time, uh, Going, going for what God says is yours. It's not greed. That's right, that's right. If God didn't want you to have it, then he shouldn't have put it in his book. That's, right. that's always been my attitude. Yes. I said, God, if there's anything in this book that you said is mine that you really don't want me to have, then tell me now and I won't waste my time believing for it. Yes. And he's never had to say, uh, I didn't really mean that. Right. Amen? So the maximum represents the highest level attainable. The highest level attainable, peak, peak performance. That's where we get that phrase, peak performance, amen. I, I, I always love being around people who excel in what they do. My two pilots, I mean, they, they excel in what they do. I, I flew for a short time. I didn't get very high in my training. I just wanted to be able to say I did it, you know. I was more interested in jumping out of airplanes than flying airplanes. I wanted to be a paratrooper when I was in the military, and they said, "Son, you are so small, the chute would—you'd hit the ground before the chute opened." The equipment weighs more than you do. I went in the military weighing 114 pounds. I came out and went 124. Them three squares a day were good for me, praise God. (laughs) So they put me in a 4.2 mortar platoon. But anyway, I always wanted to jump out of airplanes. I don't know why, just as a kid, I just thought, man, someday I'm going to jump out of airplanes. I want to be a paratrooper. And uh, so I did get to do some skydiving later in life, you know, and and I didn't want to do it tandem. Are you kidding me? I want to do it by myself. I was in a class with about 20 other students and they were all between 18 and 25 years old. This was my 50th birthday present that Carolyn gave me and that was 27 years ago. And uh, she finally gave in and said, I bought you uh, uh, training for skydiving and you're going to do it in Gainesville, Texas. So I rode my Harley to Gainesville and I got in that class, and I'm the oldest one in the class, and all of them wanted to go tandem, attached to a a jump master. I said, no way, I'm doing this by myself. So they put me in the airplane, went through the training, put me in the airplane, and by the way, had to pack my own chute. Yeah. (laughs) Just in case it didn't open, they didn't want to be responsible, you know? (laughs) So I had to go through that training, pack my own chute, and uh, so they got me in the airplane. We went up 7,500 feet. I mean, 12,500 feet. And uh, I'm sitting against the, the firewall, so to speak, in the, the plane, right door's open. And the pilot, when he reached our altitude, he said, Jerry, are you ready? I said, sir, I've been wanting to do this all my life. Just tell me when to let go. He said, well, get out on the wing strut. I got out on the wing strut. Of course, you go through the training of what you do, and, and boy, the backwash from that prop is amazing. And so you're holding on to the wing strut. And then he said, let go. And of course, they train you to get in a, a, a position where your feet are up over your back. You know, if you don't do that, then you're going to wind up doing this in the sky. And so I, I did everything right. And I've got an altimeter strapped to my chest. And, uh, and then two jump masters jump out behind me. And we meet in a circle and we do a free fall for 7,000 feet. And then at uh, 5,500 feet, I pull the ripcord. Now that's the only part of the training that they really cannot prepare you for quite accurately. They tell you it's going to jerk. Okay, it's going to jerk. I'm waiting for a jerk. No, this is a jerk. That thing, when I pulled that rib cord, it jerked me so hard, I heard myself say, Oh my god. <laughs> and then they say, and now make sure your chute opens. Okay, so I got the chute open, and now I drive it down to the target. It was, a, it was the most fun I'd had in a long time. I got on the ground, I pulled my cell phone out of my jumpsuit, I said, Carolyn, the eagle has landed. <laughs> I said, it's everything I dreamed it would be, and I'm going to go up and do it again. And if I make 25 more jumps, I'll be a jump master. She said, no, you're not going up again. You don't know what you put me through this morning. She said, I'm plucking the eagle's feathers. You get on home. You're done, boy. You've done all the jumping you're going to (laughs) do. So I rode home, and when I got out there and got on my bike... All that whole group gathered around. They're 18 to 25 years old. And they said, you're the coolest old man we've ever met. (laughs) (laughs) So I had my TV crew on the ground filming and the jump masters had cameras on their helmets filming. So we made a TV program out of it. So uh, Brother Copeland and Jesse and I were flying uh, uh, to Europe and we're in Brother Copeland's airplane, and I had I had this video made that I was going to show them because I hadn't told either one of them about what I had done. And so once we got going, about an hour into the flight, I said, "Guys, uh, I've, I've just produced a new uh, program. I want you to take a look at it and critique it for me." Okay, so we put it on the video in the airplane. There I am, at uh, in this hangar, going through the training. Brother Copeland, with them piercing eyes, he had he kid not take his eyes off that video. Jesse said, what you going to do? I said, shut up, Jesse, watch. I go through this training. You're not going to do what I think you're going to do, are you? I said, Jesse, shut up, watch. you going to jump out of that airplane? I said, Jesse, watch. Brother Copeland hadn't opened his mouth. They film me inside the airplane. They film me out on the wing strut. They film me going down. They film me pulling the ripcord. My TV crew films me guiding it down to the target. Jesse got up and said, you're the bravest man I know. I wouldn't do that for all the money in the world. (laughs) Brother Copeland looked at me and said, I thought you were my friend. I said, I am your friend. He said, you went and did that without me. I said, Kenneth Copeland, I have never heard you in all these years that we've worked together ever say one word about wanting to jump out of an airplane. All I ever hear you talk about is flying airplanes. He said, I can't believe you did that without me. I said, well, if you want to do it, we'll go back and do it. I hadn't heard a word from him since. <laughs> but, you know, he, he, he may do it now that he's almost 87. You know, George Bush did, senior. He, he jumped out at 70. He jumped out at 80. I told Carolyn, I said, I'm going to do it at 90. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I just, I love breaking barriers. Yes. I had the privilege of going to uh, uh, the Indy 500 every year for a number of years. And every year they, uh, they have a celebrity drive the pace car. And uh, the Marion County, Indiana Sheriff's Department made me a honorary deputy sheriff. So they would pick me up in a squad car and take me to the race. And I'd got to be in the garages with all the drivers before the race. And uh, a lot of times, uh, before the race started, I would get to put fuel in some of the drivers' cars, Mario Andretti and uh, A.J. Foyt. And uh, I got to meet all these guys. Well, every year they would have a, uh, a celebrity drive the pace car. And this particular year, I believe it was 1986, was Colonel Chuck Yeager was the driver of the pace car. The man who broke the sound barrier. Now he's driving a, a Corvette, a brand new Corvette, leading the pack at the Indy 500. That Corvette was doing probably 186 miles an hour, leading the pack around the, the track. And then when he pulled off to go into the infield, uh, then they dropped a checkered flag and they took off. And Afterwards, I got to spend some time with Colonel Chuck Yeager. And I said to him, uh, Colonel, I've admired you. I've read a lot about you. Uh, uh, it's a privilege to meet you. I said, and driving a Corvette around the Indy 500 at about 186 miles an hour, that must have seemed really slow to you. He said, yes, it was slow, but it was still fast in a car and I love speed. And I really enjoyed having the opportunity to just meet him and talk about some of the experiences that he had breaking sound barriers. Anybody ever remember seeing the movie, The Right Stuff? And it depicted him breaking the sound barrier in there. Well, a number of years ago, I was in Nairobi, Kenya and uh, I'm flying back home and I got to London Heathrow. And I had about a six, eight, six to eight-hour layover before I could fly to JFK, and then another three-hour layover before I could fly to DFW. So I'm walking down the terminal, and I saw the Concorde over to my right. And I stopped at the desk and I said, "Where's that Concorde going?" She said, uh, "It's going to JFK." I said, "When is it leaving?" She said, "In about 30 minutes. I said, "You got a seat left?" She said, "One seat left in the bulkhead." I said, can I trade my ticket in that, that I'm flying on a 747 in on this? I know this would cost more and I'm willing to pay the difference. She said, yes, I'll do that for you. I sat in the bulkhead and it's got a mock meter in the bulkhead. You ever phone one? No. It's got a mock meter. Now this thing will do Mach two. Mach yeah. two, 60,000 feet, over 1,200 miles an hour. And the pilot said, we're about to break the sound barrier and you might feel a slight jerk. I'm going to kick on the afterburner. And I forgot that, everybody, that there were other people on this plane besides me. And I just a jerker, man, jerker. <laughs> and there was a slight jerk and we went to another level. And then when we got up to Mach 2, there was another level. Oh, my goodness. I could hardly wait to get home. As soon as I got home, by the way, I was home, that, that airplane flew from uh, Heathrow to JFK in three and a half hours. 747 took almost eight hours with a two hour layover before I could even get to Dallas. I was home in bed before I ever would have left JFK. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to do is call Brother Copeland. I said, Brother Copeland, I'll be over tomorrow. I want you to shake hands with a barrier breaker. He said, what barrier did you break? I said, I broke the sound barrier. What? I said, I broke the sound barrier. He said, without me? (laughs) How'd you do that? I said, in the Concorde. He said, you flew the Concorde? I said, yes, sir. And I said, it was awesome. He said, I want to fly that. I said, "Well, you and Gloria and Carol and I are going to South Africa in about two months. Uh, why don't we see if we can get on it and fly there?" And we did. We were able to fly uh, from Paris to JFK, and we sat in a bulkhead. And Brother Copeland had the same fit that I had <laughs> the first time. Amen. It, it's just amazing, you know. Uh, it's something about being able to break a barrier, break a barrier, going places. That people say you can't go, doing things that people say you can't do. How many of you have ever been told at least once that's impossible? Yes. Yes. Only about seven people. Well, wow. <laughs> Maybe my mic went off. I'll ask the question again. Has anybody in here ever been told that what you're attempting to do or what you're believing for is impossible?
0: Yes,
1: yes that's more like it now. Well, what'd you do? Did you, did you just agree with them? Did you just give up and quit because they didn't think it was possible? No, that ought to be like sick to a bulldog. When people tell you something's impossible. My father-in-law used to say, just hide and watch. Just hide and watch. Don't tell me that's impossible. It won't be long. I'll be given the testimony of how God made it happen. Praise God. Come on, let's give the Lord a good shout. He's worthy, amen? So once again, where there is no vision, the vision that I want you to catch tonight is for the maximum,
0: maximum results. Are you tired of settling for mediocrity? It's time to break free from limiting beliefs and unleash your maximum potential. Introducing today's transformational offer, the Becoming Maximum Results Minded Special Package This remarkable package includes Jerry Savelle's eye-opening book, God's Word in Troubled Times, along with his power-packed 50th anniversary USB flash drive featuring 50 of Jerry's most sought-after inspiring audio messages. In this package, Jerry reveals God's strategy for overcoming life's challenges, the keys to accessing supernatural blessing, how to experience unstoppable momentum in your life, and the secret to receiving God's promises. Don't wait any longer. Visit jerrysavelle.org or call us now to secure your copy of the Becoming Maximum Results Minded Special Package. Don't allow small thinking to hold you back. Begin to seize God's maximum results today.
1: Thank you so very much for joining us today and we appreciate you watching and let me encourage you, don't forget that if you want God's best, then you're going to have to come become maximum minded. That's how you position yourself to experience everything that God has for you. And once again, don't settle for anything less. I'm happy to have my daughter, Jerry Ann with me today, and she's gonna to talk to you about some of the resources that are available.
2: Well, I think it's so important, Dad, like the message that you just shared, to get it in you over and over again. You know, you can hear it one time, but it's just not enough. No. I think it's so powerful and so important that you hear the word over and over. And what a perfect way to do that with this. It's the 50th anniversary edition. 50 of my dad's classic, most popular messages. You can just put this on and listen over and over again and get the word down in you because when you get the word in you, then you're not going to think small anymore. Another part of this package that we're offering is God's word in troubled times, a book that my dad wrote. I love books because you can write in them, mark in them, read it over and over. So I encourage you to get a copy of this for yourself and also a Christmas gift. What a perfect gift to give someone the Word of God. Yes. So go to jerrysavelle.org and you can order your copy and get a copy for someone else.
1: Amen. And once again, we appreciate all of you watching and thank you partners for helping us and continuing to contribute to the ministry. You're helping us get the Word of God out to masses of people all over the world. We pray that each and every one of our partners will experience maximum results throughout the remainder of this year and next year and beyond. Praise God. Be sure and watch again next week as we continue this study on becoming maximum results minded. We'll see you then.